Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. Welcome to Catholic Baltimore. My name is Father Brian Nolan. I'm a priest from the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are blessed to have just a wonderful speaker, Dr. Scott Hahn, uh, joining us today. Uh, I'll give you a little background. Dr. Scott Hahn is the Father Michael Scanlon, Professor of Biblical Theology and the New Evangelization at Franciscan University of Steubenville, where he's taught since 1990. He's the founder and president of the St. Paul Center, an apostolate dedicated to teaching Catholics to read Scripture and from the heart of the Church. He's a former Presbyterian minister, and he has been married for 40 years to Kimberly, six children and 18 grandchildren. And what a great blessing. He's just a prolific author of both over 40 popular and, popular and academic books. And we'll talk about them a little bit more. A special welcome to you, Dr. Scott Hahn. Father Brian, it's wonderful to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah. And what a great blessing. If I can, um, before I begin with this, my sister told me, make sure when you talk to him, you actually had a significant role in a lot of people's lives, but including our family. Oh. I know my sister in her time, my, my brother-in-law was evangelical. And it was through uh, through your, your famous conversion story talk that was a big influence in my brother-in-law becoming Catholic. Later, his whole family became Catholic. Most of his family, his siblings except for one, became Catholic. And then even my sister dragged me to one of your talks. It was, I, I can't say, I was kind of nominally Catholic at the time out of college. And she says, you should hear the speaker. You like good speakers. And you were giving a talk on Humana Vitae, which I had no idea what you were talking about. Uh, at the time, <laughs> but it planted a seed, and it was through that that I that I was dating a girl at the time who was evangelical, and she was asking me questions. So, overall, you have an influence on a lot of people, but including me and my family. So, thank you oh. uh, in advance for that great blessing. You are welcome again, but Father Brian, I think you just made my day. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's well, like God can be fruitful, God. the multiplication effect, and and I thank you. So, you've written a number of popular books. The Lamb Supper, Lord of Mercy, Hail Holy Queen. But now you have a new book called Hope to Die, The Christian Meaning of Death and Resurrection of the Body. What was your original inspiration for writing the book? Why this book and why for this time? Well, you know, when you reflect upon the Eucharist for any length of time, as I have done, writing The Lamb Supper as well as The Fourth Cup and some other sources too, you begin to recognize that salvation comes to us through the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is, of course, what we profess with the Holy Eucharist. But the Holy Eucharist is, well, it's the same body it was, it was in the upper room when the Institute of the Eucharist, the same body that was hanging on the cross on Friday, buried in the tomb on Saturday. But when we profess the real presence of Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, what we are specifically referring to is his body as it was resurrected on Easter Sunday, as it ascended into heaven as it is now enthroned in glory. And so while there is continuity between Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the reality of the presence of Christ is the Eucharist, and the Eucharist is the sacrament of the resurrection, but it also then opens up an understanding, at least it has for me, into how Christ intends to fulfill that promise, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, I will raise him up on the last day. Because we receive the resurrected body of Christ, it's not just a resuscitated corpse like Lazarus. It is not just a fulfilled prophecy or a historical event 
with an empty tomb and eyewitnesses. It's all of that, but it's much, much more. The mystery that we call the Paschal mystery and the real presence points us to something that is literally out of this world and yet quite in it. And I can't help but think about this pandemic and how it has confronted us with, you know, our mortality, with our own, with our own proneness to illness, suffering, and death, as well as our aversion. You know, we have a yeah. deep allergy to even thinking about it, much less speaking about it. And yet now we are confronted by it. And so it becomes a moment of grace for us to reflect upon this fact, this set of mysteries. My my daughter said to me the other day, she's in her 30s, she is, she's a mother of four. She said, Dad, I don't think I've ever realized how much I've taken the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass for granted until you can't have it. And then she said, I have never found myself longing and hungering for Holy Communion like I am now. And, you know, how much that blesses a father's heart to hear, but how much he's echoing what so many others are hearing and so, you know, two years ago, I began working on this book, and I had my reasons, and I had my timing. I was hoping it would come out Easter 2020, but clearly God had his other purposes and his own sense of timing. And when I discovered that at the end of February, right when the virus, the pandemic hit, I actually asked the printer to stop the presses so that I could rewrite the last chapter to put all of this in perspective, to focus on how our bodies are destined to die and then rise again and how Christ's resurrected body is what will transform us, and how it enables us to face death in a new way, not simply as the loss of life, but as the gift of life, and as this opportunity we have to enter into heaven, not just as disembodied souls, but with bodies that are resurrected like Christ. And I, you know, I rewrote that last chapter in about 48 hours or so, sent it off, and I just can't, I can't help but wonder if, God had his own plan. I was looking at this book for one set of reasons, and I think he had me do it for his own set. And so the timing couldn't be better. It couldn't be, in a certain sense, more divine. But it's also not mainly speculative theology. It is really practical and personal, so that when we do go back to the Mass and when we start receiving Holy Communion, I I believe, I can't help but wonder if this will not facilitate an appreciation. You know, 20 years ago, I wrote this book called The Lamb's Supper. And I've heard from many people that it had a similar effect on them than it did for me, that you experience the Mass as heaven and earth. But now you can also experience this destiny that we are intended to share with Christ, because when he suffered, died, and rose again, he didn't end up getting any more glory than he had in the beginning. So why go to all of the trouble if it's not for your own sake? Well, clearly it was for our sake. And what I want to show is that we can live in these mortal bodies with a hope of resurrection glory in such a way that will transform the ordinary tasks that we do with extraordinary faith and just give us an appreciation for how we ought to treat our bodies and other people's, not just in life but in death, you know, and not just with burial but also to understand how the early church revered what God had done in feeding our bodies with his own son's body. And so I'm just trying to make it clear for people that when we face illness and when we face death, we actually face what the catechism calls the new Passover, the final Passover, not just leaving Egypt to enter Canaan, but leaving this mortal coil of finite earthly death 
and entering into something that is going to surpass our wildest dreams and go beyond our highest hopes. And one of those things that you brought to our attention, too, is especially during the coronavirus pandemic, a lot of people are worried about, okay, am I going to get sick or my loved one's going to sick or or to die? But you reminded us there's even one of the gifts of the resurrection is Jesus offers an antidote to the question of spiritual death. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. You know, when you look at life as it was in the beginning, you realize that God breathed in a man's nostrils the breath of life. And so our first father wasn't just breathing oxygen, but divine breath, which is the Holy Spirit. So he had life that was natural and human, but he also had life that was supernatural and divine. So in the span of 10 verses from Genesis 2, 7 to verse 17, when God says to our first father, you can eat from all of the trees but one, and if you eat from that, that day you will die. You'll surely die. Well, they ate, and they didn't die unless they did. And in 1 John 5, 17, you discover that there's this thing called mortal sin. Sin unto death, the Greek word is thanatos, the same term used in Genesis 2. Our first parents committed spiritual suicide, and the death that they experienced wasn't less of a death than if a bullet was in their brain or if that serpent had bitten them with toxin. The fact is to lose divine life is a much greater loss. And so when we contract original sin, we have human life from our parents, but not divine until we're baptized. Thus, our baptism gives us divine life and resurrects us to this supernatural and eternal life, such that our resurrection in the waters of baptism surpasses what Lazarus got on the fourth day. Lazarus come forth, brought back his mortal body, but we received the immortal life that our first parents forfeited. And I think we underappreciate, I mean, all life is sacred, but there is life and then there is life. And we dread suffering and death. But what we ought to dread even more is the loss of divine life through mortal sin when we repeat what our first parents did and commit spiritual suicide. This life is more valuable and eternal, but it's also more vulnerable. And so it's a kind of wake-up call for us as Catholic Christians to protect life in both forms as they are united in everyday life, but to recognize that this divine life is precisely why Jesus says, oh, Lazarus, he's just sleeping. Well, he'll wake up. Well, he's dead. Well, why didn't you say so in the first place? Because I want to help you rethink what you assume life means. It's like Princess Bride. I don't think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a great movie. That's right. What a great, great blessing, Dr. Scott Hahn, especially in talking about his new book, Hope to Die, The Christian Meaning of Death and Resurrection of the Body. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll be back for a moment. I'm Father Brian Nolan. May God bless you. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. 
For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Welcome back to Catholic Baltimore. My name is Father Brian Nolan. We are blessed to have Dr. Scott Hahn with us with discussing his new book. It's called Hope to Die, The Christian Meaning of Death and Resurrection of the Body. Dr. Hahn, maybe we'll start first with the reality of our bodies aren't really held up as important. They're kind of throwaways, even just how we look at things like uh, the reality while cremation is, is permitted. The things that are happening today, I mean, everything from the temptation to scatter the ashes and, and other things, can you speak to that a little bit about the reminder of that dignity of the body that it will rise again on the last day? But I do think how fitting it is for us to recognize that the early church picked up from the Jews this reverence for the body at death in a way that was unique. At the same time, we took it to a new level. So the dead bodies were no longer causes for defilement ever since the resurrection. You know, the, the, the blood and the flesh and the bones of the saints and the martyrs especially were gathered together and revered precisely because of how we get to share in the suffering of Christ. And thus, we also will share in the resurrection. And so the question is more than just what is church law? What are you allowed to do? It's really what is the most fitting response to what God has done by assuming our mortal nature? and transforming it into a gift that will lead us to a life that will be like, again, beyond our wildest dreams. The weakest saint in heaven will be stronger and more agile than the greatest Olympic athlete in earthly history. And that isn't exaggeration or religious rhetoric. That's the reality of what the resurrection will entail. And so as a result, I think it helps us to rethink our own bodies and others too. I think we have a love-hate relationship with our bodies. We overindulge, and then we show contempt when we feel, you know, we're getting fat or we're getting tired or we're facing illness. You know, whereas God respects us and uses this suffering almost like a divine sculptor uses the chisel to kind of hammer away at our own hardness to sculpt saints through suffering. Suffering is not primarily punitive. It really is restorative. You know, God doesn't punish us with suffering and death to get back at us for sin. No, he does that to get us back to him in faith and trust and love, and especially in hope that as we go through darkness, we will see the light and how his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And so our bodies are an essential part of who we are. They're kind of like sacraments in as much as a sacrament is a visible sign of an invisible reality. The invisible reality is our soul. Our bodies are not just disposable wrappers or cartons that have contents, and then when we die, we can throw the box away. No, it's an essential part of who I am and you are as human beings and how we communicate with each other, not only now, but in heaven, where we'll get together and not just to stare at God, but to share together 
God is an all-powerful, but he's also an all-loving father. So he is going to be enthralled as I am when my six kids and 18 grandkids all get together for a reunion. You know, a billion years will pass and we'll hear each other's stories and realize there's really only one story. And all of our life experience has been scripted by God, a father, to show us how all of these are like spokes that converge on the hub of a wheel. We are all participating in a story that, again, goes beyond our wildest dreams. And in heaven, a billion years will pass by like a minute. Time flies when you're having fun. And we're going to be able to understand each other and with resurrected bodies communicate with each other so clearly. Our bodies are going to have these certain properties. They're not going to be capable of suffering. They're impassable. They're also going to be subtle. So we're not weighed down by hunger or illness. They're also going to be described as agile because of the motion of my body will be unlimited, as it were. And most especially, we speak of the clarity of the body because I will see you, you will see me, and we will know each other more clearly than spouses after decades. Kimberly and I have been married for 40 years now. We feel like Israel coming out of the wilderness. But I can't wait to see her even more beautiful. I mean, at this point in time, I never knew that married couples could have this much fun. But I also see that this body that I have, that she has, these are like seeds that will be sown mortal and corruptible, but will be raised immortal and incorruptible, as God promises through St. Paul. It seems like we don't talk about death. No one talks about death. No one talks about the afterlife. Only we have a message to proclaim. Jesus has a message to proclaim in the in the offering of the resurrection. And how would you describe even just our understanding of death has has the fullness of the of the faith? What is the Catholic understanding of death and what happens? Yeah, I'll do my die? best. Yeah, you know, in the Old Testament, death was always understood through the eyes of faith as a passage, but it was still obscure. Even the holiest patriarchs and prophets still dreaded death. But when Jesus died, he didn't lose his life. He made his life a gift of love, and he turned death into something like a prayer, into a liturgy. His execution by the Romans became a sacrifice holier than the animals that were offered. And so that transformation was not just done back then and there. It's here and now. And through the Eucharist in the Mass, we participate in that. And so you can see how the Stoics in antiquity were those who kind of, they learned how to suffer and keep a stiff upper lip. They didn't complain. It's interesting because I've discovered that the people who persecuted the Christians, like Julian the Apostate, complained how the Stoics overcame the fear of suffering through all kinds of rigorous exercise, whereas the Christians, he called them Galileans. Even the children aren't afraid of death. And why? Because they've seen what Jesus did to it. We're not morbid in our fascination with death. We're joyful because of the hope of the resurrection, and we can approach the grave and know ours will be empty as well someday. That is beautiful, and not not only not just a fear of death or no fear of death or with God's help and God's grace, but that reality that Christians live differently even during difficult times. I'm, I'm reading a book called Breakpoint. It's about, if I pronounce it correctly, it's Sylvester Chris Murray, who was a young medical doctor in the prisons in Czechoslovakia under communism rule. And he basically talked about, or the Catholics in prison were considered nobility because they were still joyful and free, even though they experienced oppression. Can you speak about that, how, again, faith in God and faith, both life now and life in eternity, just changes our attitude through even going through difficult times, which we're experiencing right now? You know, I had a conversation a few months ago with a friend of mine who was a priest in New York City and a hospital chaplain. And he was describing to me how when people face death, 
you know, God uses it to pry their hearts open without in any way undermining their freedom. But he also told me that a rabbi who's also a chaplain there said, man, you really have a religion that helps people die. And, you know, what he was talking about was not just the sacrament of the sick, the anointing, extreme unction, whatever you call it, but just the way in which death itself becomes this door that God uses precisely because Christ has passed through it. And he hasn't just endured it. Dying, he didn't just sympathize with us. No, dying, he destroyed our death so that life doesn't end. It's changed, but it's changed from good to much better. And as disembodied souls, we'll be better off later as we, than we are now. But ultimately, what we long for is that reunion with our bodies. And we can see why this priest can say to these people in their hospital beds, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And that isn't religious hyperbole on Paul's part. There really is a sense in which if the 12 articles of the Apostles' Creed are even only half true, then it's exactly right to say to die is gain because the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting are more than just our corpses being resuscitated. No, there's going to be a transformation that was already prefigured in the transfiguration where what Christ's body has, we will all share with the Blessed Virgin as well as with all of the martyrs and the saints. You know, in some ways, we always recycle the doctrine that we believe. In other ways, we we don't study it too often, but I think we contemplate it too rarely. Because when you contemplate it, you begin to blow the dust off the doctrines that constitute the faith, and you realize, wait a minute, these aren't rocks. These are pure diamonds. These are majestic. These are precious. These have value that, again, goes beyond this world. It is such a great grace to be able to reflect you know, on things like not just death, but death in light of the resurrection and what we're offered, a life now, which your, your book speaks of so beautifully and gives you a lot of, lot of opportunity of reflection. Last thing I ask you, and if you're familiar with the, the book from C.S. Lewis, The Horse and His Boy, at the end of the story, Aslan, you know, the Christ figure, comes up to him and says, I've come to tell you your story. And he says, well, what about hers? No, I didn't come to tell you hers. I, I came to tell you yours. And first and foremost, that is a beautiful image of heaven. Can you imagine the story being told by God himself where gather around, let me tell you his story, both for you and also for others and how we want to listen. And uh, can you share with you any last thoughts about that? And second, if you could hear someone's story, whose story are you most looking forward to besides Christ's story and our story? Is there any particular people you're longing to meet to hear their story? Two people in particular, I would say one would be St. Paul because he's my hero. And I, I have experienced a conversion from persecuting Catholics to helping re-evangelize them. And I would just love to see it through his eyes, all of salvation history, but his own life experience as a Pharisee and a persecutor, and then as the, the great apostle. The other one would be, of course, the Blessed Virgin, because there's no one else quite like a father who can see his children and pull together their lives into one script, except the mother. I think the mother, <laughs> in a certain sense, written on her heart, are all of the stories of her children. And if she is endowed, again, with the fullness of grace, then I can't imagine what it would be like to replay the tape and to see all of these chance, random, seemingly you know, unrelated events happening. And she would show us how all of this is interrelated, that there are coincidences from our perspective, but they're God incidences from the heavens as you look down from the heavens. So hearing it from Mary's perspective, Mary's heart, Mary who ponders not just the life of Christ, but also our life with, with its joys, its sorrows, 
and the glories that ultimately point to the resurrection. What a great blessing, Dr. Scott Hahn, for having you. Uh, for our listeners, please consider seeing all of his many works, but especially his new book that's out, Hope to Die, The Christian Meaning of Death and the Resurrection of the Body. What a great blessing to have you. May your work be fruitful, and let's end with a, a glory be. Glory be to the Father, glory be to the Father and to the Son, Son and to the and Holy, Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Spirit, as it, as it was in the beginning, beginning is, is now, now, and will be, will forever. be forever. Amen. Amen. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, blessings on you and your family, and blessings on your work of evangelization. I'm Father Brian Nolan for Catholic Baltimore. May God bless you. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our blessed mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.